Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. I'm Paul Dottino with Super Bowl 42 champion Jeff Fiegels. We'll be here for the next hour to talk Giants and NFL football, and we will give you plenty of chances today to give us a call at 973-667-1960, 973-667-1960. You can always reach us on Twitter at hashtag GiantsChat. I am at GiantsWFAN. He is at Jay Fiegels. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Mr. Dottino. Nice day, right? Top of the afternoon to you. You didn't say good morning to me today, so that's good. Well, it's going. You're on your stuff. Um, look, I I got how you trap me into a corner on that every week. (laughs) So I'm staying away from the time of day, and I'm just going to say hello. And by the way, it's going up to 90 degrees in New Jersey today. Mm Mm-hmm. Stay inside. Ah, yeah, but you're a golf guy, so I expect you to be out on the links. I'll be playing tomorrow morning at 8.30 when it's not 90 degrees. Ah, very good, very good. Hey, big news uh, supposedly coming out today. According to Adam Schefter of ESPN, uh, the NFL coming up with a potential uh, announcement today, and we'll get to this right off the top because, let's face it, it affects every team and not just the Giants, about the potential of canceling weeks one and four of the original preseason schedule. Now, we know that the August 8th Hall of Fame game in Canton was already canceled. The Hall had announced that recently, and players were still scheduled to report to their training camps on July 28th. But now, according to Schefter, at some point today, we are likely to hear from the NFL that they're not going to have any preseason games played until the weekend of August the 20th. And then the second week of preseason games to be played the following weekend of August the 27th. And the idea here is that they will keep weeks two and three of the preseason uh, on the schedule. Each team will get a road game and a home game. And then games one and four would be dropped. Now, the interesting part about this whole thing, Jeff, and then I want to get your entire picture of this uh, of comments is a the NFL PA has yet to approve any such plan. So that's going to have to be agreed upon before anything can be locked into stone. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing here that that's very interesting in terms of the selection of dates and which games they decided to uh, apparently keep Albert Breer. And we all know him, the outstanding NFL writer from Sports Illustrated talking about that there has to be an acclimation period uh, involving the preseason schedule. He says the NFL and the Players Union's Joint Committee on Health and Safety had recommended a three-week camp ramp-up before helmets go on. And so you've got most of the teams reporting to camp on July 28th. Three weeks from then becomes August 18th, which kind of fits into the equation as to why the preseason would begin on August the 20th. So I put all of that on the table Mm -hmm. in front of you. Mm -hmm. Please give me a reaction. Mm -hmm. Well, my reaction is, is that it's just as we get closer and closer to the start of everything, there's going to be adjustments. And this is the first, the second of, of the adjustments that have come down officially or unofficially on this one, but until they're announced it. But the first one was the Hall of Fame game. Well, that was the first, that was the first game on the, on the schedule, right? Yes. Um, you know, it makes sense because nobody has had an off season. So they want that three-week acclimation period. You need it. Football is a game that you got to be able to practice and get on the field and condition your body. And there's a lot of stuff that goes on that you have to get done 
as far as the new teams like the Giants that have a new coaching staff, new systems, that's going to take a lot more than, say, the uh, Super Bowl champion team. You know, so or a team that's been, you know, there before and has a lot of veteran players and their staff has been there. So I can understand this. I do understand. Actually, I think it's a good idea because, you know, those the second and the third game by far are probably the most important of the two preseason games. If there is anything important about the preseason, like it's probably those two games where the third game, Paul, you know, is the dress rehearsal for the season. So um, that'll give them at least another two weeks plus until the regular season starts after that third game in the preseason, which will give guys, you know, I'm looking at all this as far as if, if there is some sort of um, somebody gets sick and they have to do the quarantine for 14 days. Well, you're putting 14 days, a good 14 days in before the first regular season game. Mm-hmm. If you stop that on August, what is it? 30th, right? Does that give me two weeks? It should. Yeah. September 3rd, 4th, and then 4th. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, trying to build these safeguards in. And I think it's a good idea because I will tell you this, and you know this too, is that, you know, any team like the Giants that have not – there are players on the team. Get this. There are there are veteran players on this team and rookies that have never met Joe Judge personally. Could you imagine? That's true. We're sitting here in July to say that you're, you've never met your head coach before. That's, you know, personally – and that that's that's tough. So the, the the Giants need some time. They need some time. So this is good news to them. You know, it's not good news to the to the fans. You're going to lose one home game. Um, but I feel like just the way that things are, we don't. It's all very uncertain at this point. All right. Now to finish off this story, then I want to get to our first caller of the day. That would be Glenn in Florida. But hold on, Glenn. I just want to finish this topic up with Jeff. A couple of things. Uh, the NFLPA is having a uh, Board of Representatives conference call today as they begin to discuss things such as this. So we may learn more either tonight, tomorrow, certainly within the next couple of days. I would think we would get some type of reaction or statement from them if, in fact, this is what the NFL is going to come out and say they will do. Now, in addition to that part of the deal, I should say to to remind people that the Giants' two games that they would be talking about, games two and three of the preseason, would be August 22nd at Tennessee and August 29th at home against Green Bay. Now, I'm throwing out a hypothetical. Let me make something very clear, folks. I don't have any uh, insight on this at all, other than to say that Tennessee is one of the states that is experiencing a horrible COVID-19 spike right now. And I have to wonder myself uh, how the NFL feels about some of the states like Texas, like Florida, like Tennessee, like California, where some of these preseason games could be in the heart of spiking territory. I, I personally, I'm a little bit curious myself as to how the league feels about having a team like the Giants go into the heart of Tennessee to play that preseason game. Might they decide to move it to a neutral site and get it out of one of the hot spots? I don't know, but... I will tell you that when I thought about this, I'm thinking Tennessee, that's not a state that's doing very well right now. And I bring that to your attention as well. Sure. Well, you're only talking about the Giants and the Tennessee Titans. I mean, talk about teams that are going to go to Arizona for that preseason. Another, sure. another state that's So this just doesn't have to do, deal with one, two teams like we just mentioned. This has to deal with a lot of other teams that are going to be in the same situation. So 
I will tell you from my experience with, you know, with the NFLPA and, and knowing what's going to happen, I don't know officially, <clears throat> but I can tell you this, that the NFLPA is gonna, not going to put their players at risk. And they're going to do everything they can to make sure that the NFL and the owners know that um, they're not going to be compromised. So they're going to have to have a good system to come up with that the players feel comfortable about. And if not, then, um, you know, look out. Because this is not in the CBA right now, what, what, we're go- what they're going through. This is something outside of it. Um, and this is all these things have to be negotiated. And they have to be discussed. And they have to be agreed or not agreed. And they'll go from there. I, I, it's going to be very difficult. That's, that's my opinion. And it's going to, we'll, we'll see. We well, will Jeff, see. the final caveat to this entire story mm-hmm. is Brandon McManus, the Broncos kicker and former Giants kicker who has come out on Twitter and said, don't be surprised if there's only one or not even any preseason games. He's mm-hmm. kind of taking it a step further on his own. And that may have to do with considerations from what you just said, mm-hmm. the players union might come out and say. Yeah, and I don't know what he knows, um, but, you know, until it's officially somebody says something, then we just have to speculate on it. But, you know, yeah, there might be a chance that there's no preseason games and the season gets pushed back because of all the spike in the United States and, you know, how things are going forward, we don't know. The problem we have here with this, and this this isn't just football, Um, it's all the sports that people are talking about coming back and it's our daily lives, is that, this thing is here to stay for a while, and we are in a situation where the news and everything changes daily. So it's hard to make any type of forecasting uh, to understand that what's going to happen in August. You know, we just mm-hmm. got into July. So we need to get out of the woods here quickly about some of this stuff before we start taking on. And this is a big chore for the NFL and the Players Association. We're going to see what happens. Okay, I mean, I, I'm interested to see because, you know, they don't, you said that today uh, Adam Schefter had reported that today there would be some sort of, of you know, news about this officially. And then we're going to find out a little bit more where the NFLPA is. You know, there's a new president. NFLPA has a new president this year. Um, and I don't know the name off the top of my head, but I remember reading an article yesterday that he had wrote. And it was pretty strong. Pretty strong in the sense that, you know, what I said, that players are not going to be compromised. J.C. Treader. J.C. Treader. That's, that's correct, Paul. Thank you. No problem. Um, it's a good article, and it just goes to show you it outlines a little bit about what, what's to come. Okay, let's go to the phones, and if you'd like All to right. dial us up, again, we only have one line under these pandemic situations. Our studio situation is a little bit difficult, so we're going remotely. 973-667-1960 is our number. There's only one line, so we've got to kind of take the calls in consecutive order. Uh, Glenn in Florida, you open up today's BBKL. Hello. Hi, Glenn. Hey there, guys. Happy 4th of July to you You guys. too. You too now. Thank you. Um, I just want to basically just say I understand where you guys are coming from with um, with the Cam Newton thing and how the pandemic is happening all over. And then where they go, if you guys come down, say the transfer to come to Miami and how Florida has a lot of problems, too. And then how they play football like that here, down here. Yeah. Yeah, you know, problems everywhere. 
As I look at the Giants' yeah. schedule, Glenn, the Giants' road trips that, to me, would cause more concern would be Los Angeles. They've got an, a road game against the Rams, and we know that California mm-hmm. has had some very hot spots. We know that Dallas has has really had a lot of hot spots uh, recently. That's been an issue. Uh, and yeah. other than that, it, uh, Seattle, of course, has also had some other things, not just hot spots, but some unrest out there. So Seattle would be a very interesting road trip. And quite frankly, as I mentioned, Nashville already with the Tennessee Titans during the preseason. So yeah. maybe half of the Giants' road trips, in my mind right now, would be caused with some concern. I agree. Totally agree. Because anywhere you go, even if it's not just the Giants or any team that goes to California, to Florida, to Arizona, or anywhere, there's always problems. And you don't yeah. want to put your players in jeopardy. Understood. Appreciate the call, Glenn. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Yep. You know, Jeff, the one thing that does kind of help this situation along is that if teams are forced to make some type of adjustments, whether or not they even have to go to a neutral site to get to get a game in, the fact that it, it looks less and less like there'll be fans in the stands. Now, we don't know that for sure, but to me, that would unmuddy the situation quite a bit because if you're not going to have any ticket holders coming to the games, then you've got more of an opportunity to make arrangements for those games to be played elsewhere if need be. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a big logistical nightmare. I mean, you know, we always, when you, when you really try to take it a little bit deeper than this, just, it's not only the coaches, the players, the staff, now you've got, you know, medical personnel that has to be in the stadium. You've got the stadium has to be operational from a security standpoint. It's from a safety standpoint. So, you know, it's not that just the team's going to show up and play there. There's operational staff all around. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, the, it'll be limited to the fans, which I think is was horrible. But, you know, I don't know how else you could do it without requiring face masks consistently and doing things like that. And, you know, maybe checkerboarding the the stadium as far as seating goes, but um, you know, Paul and I, I, you sent me a a link to an article that was written about teams possibly flying to games on the same day. Huh. Oh my goodness! Well, there's no well, way that there's no way that some team is going to fly from L.A. to here to play a game. Let's address that <clears throat> now because it was two days ago and it kind of got buried because I think it came out late in the afternoon. Mike Florio with Pro Football Talk put out a story that said, per a league source, multiple teams intend to fly to and from road games on the day of the game, mm-hmm. understanding understanding that there were limitations. For example, East Coast and West Coast teams would clearly not be in a position to do that. He happens to cite the 49ers have a game at the Jets in Week 2, saying to fly across the country and back in one day is not going to work. The Giants obviously have a game at the L.A. Rams on October the 4th. That would fall into a similar boat, and there are many of those games that are across uh, the United States where that would not fly. But as a player, how would you feel about the local games, whether it's, uh, I don't know, if you're the Giants, you've got uh, Philadelphia, you've got Washington, you've got Chicago, you've got Baltimore. You do have some games that are relatively close. Mm-hmm. Would this would this be a significant issue for you as a player? We did it once. Um, I'm not going to remember. John will love this. <laughs> 
Uh, I can't remember what team it was, but um, we were. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really can't. I, I remember it was earlier in my career. It might have been Philly that we we could not get out on the day before, so we ended up having to fly the day of the game. And because the game was at night, it really wasn't a big deal, right? I mean, a seven thirty okay. game or whatever. Um, that's that makes it a little bit easier, Paul. Because you yeah. think about this: if the games were all at, in the evening, you have all day. And if you're only, you know, Baltimore is only a three-hour drive, um, you know, an hour and a half train ride or whatever, two-hour train, whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? It, those are those are close ones. Um, there's nothing you're going to be able to do about the other ones. You know, Seattle is another away game the Giants play on December 6th. Um, those two in particular, the the Ram game that you had mentioned. All the rest of them, you could you probably could do pretty good about it. I mean, Cincinnati's pretty close. You've got uh, Baltimore that's very close. Philly. It's close. I get a D- Dallas would be probably be another one that would be a little bit of ways, but um, hey, Chicago is even close too. So it could be something that I would imagine that the only way that those are going to happen is if you are geographically within so many miles of the game. Um, because let's just t- let's just think about it. let's go backwards. You have a one o'clock game in Chicago. Okay, well, Chicago. What's the flight from here to Chicago? An hour? It's probably an hour, right? Um, no, you've got it's probably a, a little more than that, don't you think? Well, okay, so let's just say let's just say it's two hours. So now it's a one o'clock game. You got to be, you know, that's now it's eleven. You've got pregame meal. You probably would want to be, maybe have the pregame meal where at the facility and leave because you're not staying in a hotel the night before. So it's a lot of one o'clock. I mean, the four o'clock helps. Seven, obviously, eight o'clock primetime games really help. But the one o'clock games. That's basically getting on the plane, landing, going to the stadium, and playing football. Well, here's here's another part to this whole thing, then, Jeff. And I and I don't know how it would fit in with the networks because they're going to have an absolute uh, nightmare. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a good word for it. I could have said something else, but it's a family show. Uh, really, what it comes down to, if you're going to fly teams in and out, I would say if there are no fans in the stadiums anyway, why not just move the kickoffs to four o'clock? And this way you're giving the teams that much more time to make that flight on Sunday morning without having to rush them to the building right away. Yeah, that's going to be that's just going to be all determined but, but, on. Yeah. yeah, but TV will never go for that because they need the one o'clock games as part of their double headers. Well, you ought to also understand what's what's coming down here, too, with everything being pushed, you know, back, if you will. And there's going to be listen, if, if the seasons all of a sudden start getting pushed back and one gets pushed into the other. Remember, there's only so much you can put on TV on network. So maybe there's baseball and basketball and football and and everything going on at the same time. Where are they going to find that type of time slots to to be able to put football where they want it? You know, other than keep it where where it is. And that's the other part to this that I don't think a lot of the fans necessarily think about very much. You know, we're all thinking about, well, can can the players play? Can the coaches coach? Well, you've got a lot of logistical issues here. And then on top of all of that, what is what is the tail that actually wags the dog in pro sports? It's money. the networks. <laughs> no, no, it's the networks, Yeah, the, yeah. Which, which really equals the money. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the networks really – 
really wag the the, the dog. They, that's the tail that wags the dog. It, it goes the other way around. You know, they're not they're not the basic core of the game, but they're the ones who control it because they need their programming. So that's yeah. It, there's a lot of questions that could really pop up because of this whole thing. By the way, again, our number is nine seven three six six seven. 1960 our phone line our phone line is open right now if uh, you'd like to dial us up and give us a call um paul Tatino and jeff feagles with you also hit us up on twitter at giants wfan or at jay feagles uh another piece of nfl news that has come out over the last 24 hours the nfl will not be having a supplemental draft this year mm, yeah that's a big one now, you know, I understand well, that a lot of teams over the years have kind of shunned it and not necessarily participated. But, you know, Jeff, because this year there was yeah. a lot of talk that, that some college players might even have tried to consider going because they didn't think they might have a college season and mm-hmm. they wouldn't want to wait till next year. Yeah. It could have made for an interesting dynamic with at least really a few quality players that might yeah. have been in this. Yeah, I mean that that's why I said, Oh, that's a big one because you know, you're right. I that from what I was, you know, reading and hearing about it is the fact that there are guys that were thinking about coming out this year that normally wouldn't because there may not be a football season in college football, like you'd mentioned. Makes sense. I don't know how many of those guys would actually get drafted where they wanted to get drafted, but you know, typically every year, what's there, one, two, maybe the most three ever mm-hmm. taken in supplemental drafts? Obviously the Giants did with, with Beal a few years ago. Oh, um, and before that, Dave Brown many years ago. Oh, was he? I did not know that. Okay, Dave Brown yeah, was the supplemental used, guy. They used a first-round draft pick on him. Yeah. Wow, interesting. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's uh, something that a lot of guys were counting on maybe, and now it's not there. So another another one bites the dust. <laughs> so, <laughs> many, so many different things have been impacted by this pandemic it's just it's uh, it's remarkable and i guess until something of of this magnitude happens we take so many things for granted we sure do and yeah, we're we now take... finding out that nothing yeah. is to be taken lightly i think the biggest thing for nfl football and giants fans is the fact that we just hope that the games can be played um we know that we can we're okay watching football on tv if we can't get to a game at least they're watching your team play um, and competing against another team, and there's a season, right? So that's not the the end of the world, but um, there is something to understand and think about, and that's the safety of the players, the coaches, all the staff, and the people that are working in these stadiums. That can they get it done correctly no and be safe? Then that's fine. I promise you, if they if they think they can do it, they're going to do it, right? Sure, sure. And then what's the other thing that you know? I've been also hearing a little bit about, and more maybe more ter- towards college rather than pros, is that the season is canceled during the fall that they'll go and do it in the spring, have a spring football season. Well, wow, that's going to really throw you know, a monkey wrench into everything with the NFL plans. But the NCAA doesn't care about the National Football League. They're going to do what they got to do, right? So I just don't think that this could ever work if the NFL decided to switch this thing and push it towards the, the fall, or excuse me, towards the spring. There's no way. I, I agree no. with you. I don't think that the NFL would do that, but no. I know uh, the Power Five conferences at the NCAA level have had that conversation, and while it is their last resort, it is a possibility. Uh, my goodness, I don't even want to think about that mess. Uh, we go back to the phones, and <laughs> hey, at Robert. Least there, hey, hey yeah. at least there would be football in the spring. 
Uh, yeah, much like the USFL was years ago. Robert from Florida, <laughs> you're next on the show. Hello. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hi, Robert. Hi. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, listen, I know both of you aren't fans of the idea of Evan Ingram potentially moving to the outside, but I, I know Charlie's a bit eccentric, but I know a couple days ago a bit? He, had, he, had a, he had a great <laughs> point about maybe putting him on the outside. And, and I think of a, a comp player who was just drafted who plans to be on the outside is someone like a Chase Claypool, the size and the speed. And with tight ends like Caden Smith, who is a good blocker, and the pickup of Toy Lolo as a, and also a really great run blocker, why is it so outlandish to think that Evan Ingram couldn't play on the outside, or shouldn't for that matter? He will play on the outside, but he'll, be play, he'll play on the outside as a tight end. They, they will put him in matchup situations that you know and we've seen him outside before we've seen him we've seen him out there off the line of scrimmage and you know that that's just going to be a week by week matchup how he can get matched up on the the best linebacker or safety or cornerback so you know I, I think that Jason Garrett is pretty excited about having Evan Ingram healthy saw a video the other day of him running around and he looked pretty darn good and so that's kind of got to excite him a little bit so we'll see what happens but I just don't see them putting him out there as a full-time wide receiver because they need him they need him as a tight end they really do he is a good blocker he's become a better blocker you know his his value really it can be maximized because of matchups down the seam mm-hmm. much more than trying to work him on the sideline you're you're just limiting how much he can do for you if you put him out on the sideline now having said that Okay, it's not like it's never been done before. Look, I remember growing up uh, back in the early 70s, the Jets had the Rich Caster and and then Jerome Barkham, who both at different times played tight end and played wide receiver. So it's not like it's never been done. You know, Al Woodall and Joe Namath and Matt Robinson and and all those Jets quarterbacks, they they were able to use the flexibility of those players in different slots in the formation. Mm -hmm. So I won't say it's impossible. Mm -hmm. I just think that in the Giants' case, based on the skill sets of of the positions that they have, they'd be making a serious mistake and and taking away uh, the, the maximum efficiency and potential of Ingram's talents by sticking them against the sideline. Well, couldn't couldn't that also potentially reduce the likelihood of him getting re-injured? Because you're getting him out of the trenches, you're getting him out of where all those three hundred plus well, pounders are. Who could... If you don't want to get him injured, then don't give him a jersey on game day. I mean, that's a great way to make sure he doesn't get hurt, right? I mean, yeah, I, I'm being funny, point. Robert. I'm being funny, but you know, the I truth probably. of the matter is, you know, if he's on the field, anything can happen. Don't don't put injury risk into the equation when you try to figure out where you want to play him because that's really not going to make any difference. Gotcha. Awesome, guys. I'll take it off the year. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks for, for calling. Call. Appreciate it. 973-667-1960 is our phone number here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Another item that I really wanted to get to with you, Jeff, and I know this goes right to the heart of oh the uh, 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 of the Feagles persona. Uh <laughs> Harrison Butker, uh, Kansas City Chiefs kicker, mm-hmm. uh, recently 
said that a 65-yard field goal is very doable. In fact, he said that he and a lot of other NFL kickers can make one from 65 or deeper under game conditions, not just lining up in practice, not just having a a, a dummy holder or, for that matter, having a real holder there or kicking it off of a tee. He, during a practice, okay, in an empty field, empty practice field, nobody around. He claims that he kicked a 77-yard field goal and has the video to prove it. Mm-hmm. Now, listen, I think, well, my thoughts are, you know, if you talk about this six or seven years ago, there might have been a handful of guys around the, uh, around the league that could do this. But I feel like the position has just gotten so much better and stronger and bigger, just like everybody, that, um, yeah, I think the guys can kick it. The problem is, is if you miss it, you know, if, if if there's still time left in the quarter, where usually these 65 yarders are coming, you know, at the end of the half or the end of a game to, to you know to win the game or tie it or something at a desperate kick, but if you're in the middle of the second quarter and you've got a 65 yard field goal attempt and the game is tied seven seven, you certainly don't want to be giving the ball uh, to the other opponent on the 50 yard line, basically, right? 65 so you, on the other side. I mean, you just don't want to do that. Right. So I think that's probably more of the strategy in it than I think the coaches believe that the guy could make the kick. But if you miss it, you've got to be- listen. I, I could tell you that 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 in pro football focus probably you could do would have something like this or some analytics, you know, somebody. What the percentage of of over fifty yard field goals or even sixty yard field goals? Excuse me, don't do fifty because actually fifty yarders have moved up. The percentage of makes for fifty-yard field goals in the last five years has has gone up. Oh, it's I think it's up close to fifty percent. It's ridiculous, Jeff. Yeah. So now, what what, if, I, what I do have is a list of sixty-yard field goals that have been made, and there are seventeen of them that have been made in NFL well, history. Matt you know Prater, Matt Prater, and <laughs> yeah, I know, but Matt Prater of Denver in two thousand thirteen, of course, in that light air, hit a record sixty-four yarder. He is the only one to hit one from sixty-four. Now, you know, I don't know how many 60 yarders have been attempted. That, uh, that, that is not uh, easily available. But 17 60-plus yarders have been made. So uh, I think the leg strength issue isn't so much the problem as much as all of the other factors that you're alluding to. Yeah, it's, it's, it's field position is the biggest thing. And by the way, the trajectory of the ball, there's more things that can happen on a 60-yard-plus field goal that are, that are bad than are going to be good. You have a low kick, which means can easily be blocked for a touchdown for something. See, so so there's a lot of risk there. I, I don't. I think the risk is much more than the than the reward by making three points from 65 yards. Like, let me ask just, you this, okay? Let me ask you this, and I know you were. Don't you agree? To, oh, no question. Okay. Now I know I know you were referring to the Giants who had to firsthand see Jake Elliott. As a rookie in yarder. Philadelphia, hit a sixty-one yarder. Sixty-one was, yeah. Which, which of course, beat the Giants at the buzzer uh, down at uh, at the link. But as far as when you played, and again, you've you've been out of the game now for a number of years. Mm-hmm. But when you played, and we know that you were a holder, what is the longest field goal that you ever held for? Um, good question. It wasn't anything in in the sixties. That's for sure. So. You know, 58, 57, somewhere in there. I don't know for sure, Paul. Okay. Um, but it was never over 60. 
I and I witnessed. Do you I, ever remember someone trying a sixty-yarder while you were a holder? No, while I was holding the football, or just no, 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 no. not. I've never, I never held a football for anybody that was going to kick over sixty yards. I did witness a sixty-five-yard field goal that was made in preseason at Denver, um, which would have been an NFL record, but you know it wasn't because it was the preseason. Was it but, Elam? It was Jason Elam. Yeah. Yep. He kicked a 65-yarder in preseason at the end of the half, um, and he made it. And that, at the time, was you know an NFL record, but unofficially because it was preseason. Right. Didn't count. Right. So that's the only time I've seen that. I've seen plenty of 60 yards attempted either during the Giants games and watching those, and <laughs> unfortunately, one, one, one of them or a few of them going through and – you know, but for the most part, I, I don't know. A sixty-yarder has got to be. I think if, listen, if there was, if you lined up every NFL kicker in the National Football League and gave them three tries from sixty yards, I would give them all a chance for one of three. They would, they would make one. Mm-hmm. So nine seven three six six seven nineteen sixty is our phone number. Our phone line is open, so give us a ring. Uh, let me add this question to the uh, to the mix about these long field goals. Given the physics of what you said about the angle of of the kick when mm-hmm. you're 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 that deep, yeah. How far do you think? Not physically would a guy be capable of doing it, but based on the the science and the angle of the kick and the geometry of the kick, how far do you suppose a kick is really possible? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Probably like well, you, Harrison. He hit a seventy-seven yarder. I've seen I've seen video of kids hitting, you know, seventy-plus field goals. But when you're out in the park, and you got no rush and no line behind you, you can you can really drill it. So, well, and I again, would, some of these guys are doing that off of a tee too. They're not well, having a holder do it, and doesn't that make a difference? It it does. But but to your point, I don't see how anybody in, can make a seventy-seven yard field goal in a game because of the trajectory of the ball. Now, I think 60, this is why I believe that the number is, is what it is. The number's up there at 64 is an NFL record, right? Yes, it is. I think anything you start getting outside of that, the angle to get it past the post because it's, you know, every yard after 65 yards makes a difference. So now if you're going to add on another 10 yards and go 75 yards, just think of what you have to do. You have to drive the football further. You can't kick it high like to get over the line of scrimmage because it's just not going to make it there. So that's why I feel like it's, ne- it's never going to get done outside of maybe 66, 67 yards, maybe. But after that, you can't do it. You can't do it. The only way, the other thing you could do is a free kick, which then you've got a real shot. Um, I don't know if people are aware of the free kick rule. Yeah. Now, before you go anywhere with that, Jeff, I wonder if a free kick would still be considered the record for a field goal sure. since it is not kicked the same way. Yeah, but it's held the same way. It is, but you yeah. don't have a, you don't have a line charge. But you, you get three points for it. So, yeah. So, I you think they would put an asterisk on it though? Because without the line, remember it's, you're talking about you're talking about the trajectory of the yeah, ball no, being I, an I, issue. Yeah. And if there's no six foot five guy, you uh-huh. know, above your center trying to knock the ball down, doesn't it make a difference? Well, on the free kick, the guys can they can stand back ten yards. Yeah, but that's not nearly. <laughs> I know, but right. Yeah, but there's still there's no rush. They just get to stand there and look at the guy. Right, um, and that's not that's not nearly the same. I guess what I'm saying is, for the free kick, you don't you don't have to have uh, you will not face the clearance issues you would have. You would not under a yeah. standard set. Yeah, so maybe there would be an asterisk in there. 
Yeah. That, I, to me, that's the only way you can make a 70-yard field goal is with the free kick option, which, by the way, can come in the last two minutes of a, of a half and the last two minutes of a game. If the other team is punting within those last two minutes of a half and the last two minutes of a game, if the, uh, the opposing team is punting and you fair catch, you can declare a free kick from that spot right away. And so you have the opportunity. A lot of times it's, it's, not, it's not done very often, but it does happen. Um, it, did, it did with me. When I was with the Giants, we were playing Arizona, down in Arizona. Uh, the last maybe 12 seconds of a half, I was in the back of the end zone, and I kicked the ball um, out to, which, which equated to, I think, a 59 or a 58-yard field goal. Um, the Cardinals tried to kick, and they didn't make it. Eline drived it. But um, that was the only time in my career that that had ever been executed on me, um, or I've seen it in a game. That's it. That's and it. I and I guarantee you this: in all <clears throat> your years of broadcasting, you have probably never had a conversation about long field goals like you did just now. And of all the people that are Bless interested, in, <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, is, 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 are we getting any callers now, <laughs> or have they not, just all left the building? I know. Not, hey, well, you know, special teams, Jeff. It's not everybody's know, cup of tea. Swept you know, under the rug. But there's just so much. There's so much interesting things about special teams that people just forget about it's fascinating um, stuff it, it really, really is, is because it's not stuff you see every day like you know i'm sure that there, there's probably somebody that's listening or watching the show on didn't didn't know that rule and you don't see it happen very often um but we surely practice it we absolutely are aware of it um and in that situation in that situation i was told to kick the ball out of bounds and i didn't get it out of bounds i got it like to six yards from the sideline and the guy fair caught it so that's what happened <laughs> We go back to our phone line and Jay from New York City. Hello. Hi, Jay. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Say thank you uh, for your work and taking the chance that I get to call with Jeff uh, today. I just want to see what what, uh, what your opinions are on our kicking situation. I know that there's a little bit of uncertainty and obviously we we don't know going on there but you know worst case scenario you know if, if there's any any input you guys have on, on alternatives i don't know in free agents or, or maybe in-house about you know like i said worst case scenario if, if that situation doesn't resolve itself. sure um, well i think you know in-house we know nothing um we haven't been in-house so um the thing about the kicking situation is it's, you know, we don't really under, understand or know what's going to happen with discipline or that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, right now, as Joe Judge said, he's on the roster. We're talking about Adric Rosas. Um, he's on the roster, and um, that's really all you can really talk about. Um, if there was something to happen, every team has a short list. Every team has a list of guys that they want to go out and get if something does happen, and I'm sure that that's where the Giants are currently right now, but um, we don't know anything. And we just hope that that whatever it is that Aldrich can get through it and the team can get through it and hopefully uh, they can move on and everything should be fine, hopefully. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, best case scenario, if there's you know, some sort of first suspension or anything like that, if, you know, bringing someone that's been with the team recently would be something that's considered. Um, but, you know, just wanted you guys' opinions on that. Um, thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Appreciate the call. Uh, again, 973-667-1960 is our phone number. Uh, as it stands now, uh, as far as the Giants' uh, depth chart is concerned, uh, Rosas is the only kicker 
That's right. On the Giants roster. Yep. So if if uh, they've got somebody else in mind uh, and they decide that they're going to make a move or they're forced to make a move, they would have to import somebody <clears throat> from outside the building right now. Yep. Uh, the, the only free agent, and I believe he is a free agent as we speak right now, and I'm going to take a look just to make sure 1,000% before I say his name. He indeed is a free agent who was at one time in Giants camp and is still an active kicker would be Mike Nugent. Mm-hmm. Other mm-hmm. than that, I don't believe any other former Giants kickers are still active and available on the street. Yeah, there's a, Just there's, to answer the, the, the caller's question. Yeah, there's, and there's other veterans out there. There's also, sure. There's also college guys that they're out there. So, um, And you know what? I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that eventually, you know, I don't know where the roster sat, it sits at as far as numbers-wise now, but um, I would imagine that they're going to want to bring some competition in for these guys anyways. I mean, you know, in training camp, you, you'd like to have a couple extra legs in camp because it just, you know, it gets old. And your, your legs do get tired from kicking every day. Well, the Giants are expected to report on July the 28th. And so if that date holds, we will find out in a few weeks uh, what at least they are contemplating, if nothing Paul, else. let me ask you this. So um, evidently the July 28th is a reporting date. Is that going to be the veteran reporting date? Or will, will the Giants and other teams that have, you know, new staffs and things are they able to bring in people earlier do you know i mean that well according to what the commissioner had ruled about a month or so ago he had said he wanted to make the reporting dates uniform and i Mm. i think that the only teams that were going to be allowed to report a couple of days early the hall of fame game participants there were a couple of other teams too that i believe they had a a preseason date that might have been a day or two earlier and so i think it were four teams we're told they could report a couple of days earlier or several days earlier, but then everybody else was going to be uniform on July the 28th. I have not heard any updates since that time. So for the moment, that's what I'm going with. Mm-hmm. But I understand this could, this could change at any day. I mean, you know. Well, I'm wondering if teams could, you know, if teams could bring players in, even though it's not training camp, bring them in before the 28th. You know? I, don't, I, I don't believe that would be the case, Jeff, to be okay. honest with you. The facilities are open. I think what you could do is have contact with a free agent and and reach an agreement if you wish to, but I I don't think outside of giving the guy an independent physical off campus, I I don't think you could bring anyone in. Yeah, well, I I see that Jordan Love signed a contract yesterday. I was reading that online here. Pro Football Focus was showing that. Um, He was down in the 20s in the first round this year. So there is his selection, his slot position. But my point is, is that he's he got a physical. So uh, yeah. he was able to get a physical, which yeah. I think is where a lot of these teams are at right now with their draft picks. They haven't been in the building, and they don't—they haven't been able to sign these guys because they all, everything is determined about a physical, as we've mentioned millions sure. of times before. Sure. All right, we go back to the phone line at nine seven three six six seven nineteen sixty. Mark in Chicago, you're next on the show. Hello. Hey guys, how you doing? Hey Mark. Uh, want to wish you a. Uh, Early happy Fourth of July. Enjoy yeah, the weekend. extended weekend here. Back to yeah. you. That's yeah. great. <laughs> so I have a couple things. Uh, I wanted to talk about Cameron Fleming, but also uh, Jeff. I had a question for you on holding on field goals. I'm watching mm-hmm. a lot of NFL Network, you know, because there's nothing else on. <laughs> and when I was watching a replay, greatest games, it was the uh, game up in Green Bay in the cold, mm-hmm. and the one field goal that uh, that Tynes missed. He hooked it to the left or pushed it to the left, and they had a 
close-up of you putting the ball down. Mm -hmm. It was a high snap, and I noticed that you put it down with your left hand. And I mm -hmm. thought, maybe that's the reason why he missed it, because it was the wrong hand. But then I started <laughs> looking more closely, yeah, and it yeah. looks like everybody puts it down with yeah. the left hand. That's funny. I would think it would be the right hand, which would be the dominant hand. And I was wondering why that technique is used. Well, here's the thing. So back before, and this will make sense to you. So if you're a kicker, and I'm the holder, and I catch the ball, and I put it down in my left hand, Okay, I'm holding the ball with my right finger. That's what I'm going to yeah. hold the ball with. And my left hand is behind the football, which is where, where you spin it, right? What right. happened was years ago, there was somebody that realized that what the holders are doing is they're blocking the view of the kicker ah. with your back hand, which would be your left hand. So what we did was we learned to catch the football and really grip it with your right hand and set it down and, and then hold the ball with your left hand up top. So you would never, now you're not blocking the view of the football. So right. I had to learn, I had to learn it a different way. And it was very difficult at first because your hands were getting, your mind wasn't do one thing and your hands were supposed to do the other. Um, but that's why, that's why you, you basically you catch the ball like, you know, with two hands and then you slide your left hand up and then you turn the ball with your right hand, so that way you do not expose your hand to the back of the football for the kicker. He doesn't. He doesn't. Then he gets, then he can see the football. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. Thanks mm -hmm. for explaining that. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Right. So and the other see, thing too yeah. is that back in the day, if you go back and look at film and you know old old uh, video clips, we also used to hold with our left knee down and our right knee up. Well, they changed that because guys were diving at us and they were worried about them taking out our knees. So we ended up oh. switching. Now our left, our right leg was down, and our left left knee was up. So if somebody did die, they wouldn't they wouldn't take our knees out. <laughs> who did who who never said that kickers and holders weren't smart guys? That, that, mm, I know, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know who is, so, whoever said that. They were wrong. <laughs> all right. Well, anyway, um, my other question was: last night I sort of fell asleep watching NFL Network, and I woke up and they had the December 2018 game against the Cowboys. And Cam Fleming got juiced by OV for three sacks, at least in that game that I saw. And it doesn't make me feel real comfortable about him. Uh, you guys watch a lot more film than I do. You know, was that just a bad game for him, or, or is he just not a, a full-time starter? And here's where I'm sort of going with it, and I know we can't answer this question. What we're starting to see is more and more players are not going to play, not so much in the NFL, but in other leagues because of pre-existing conditions at their home and their family. And Nate Solder, you know, has a son who has been health compromised. I don't know if he would give up a $16 million payday, but, you know, there's a chance here that he might not play because of his son's health condition. Sure, or he and, would have to you know, it doesn't give me a lot of confidence in what I saw based on that one game. Yeah. I don't know, Paul. I, I think that, you know, we've all seen enough football to know that there's guys that have, you know, great games and there's guys that have bad games. And um, I think that sometimes it's just, you know, if you meld the two together, you, you hopefully you're, you're still pretty good. And, um, you know, OV is a good player, but, you know, he had his day that day. And so if he was giving up three sacks a game for the whole season, then I think we got a problem. But, you know, I think, I think Cam is a guy that um, they're excited about having. He comes with some a background of the of the Cowboy offense, which Jason Garrett's going to bring here, and I think he has some versatility. 
So, and he's going to be that one of those guys that compete with those three tackles for that starting job on the right or the left side. I will tell you this, Mark. That would, to me, that was probably one of the two best games that Olivier Vernon played with the Giants. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I mean, he he was he was really a force that day. There were not a lot of games. Look, there were games he played well. Don't get me wrong. There were games that he played well. There were a lot of games where I thought he did a really strong job against the run. But in terms of being the dominant pass rusher that they needed to impact the game, that was probably about as good as he played with with a giant helmet on. Uh, So let's take that into account, number one. But number two, as far as I'm concerned, Camp Fleming is is your basic swing tackle, a guy who you can plug in and start for a few games if you really need him to. Mm-hmm. If he's got to start the whole season, you kind of feel a little squeamish about it because there are going to be games against elite guys where he'll be exposed. He's not going to be the most talented or most technique-sound player. But what I've been told about him, and this is what Colombo likes about him and why Colombo wanted the Giants to bring him in from Dallas, is that he is a good effort guy. It won't always be pretty, but he will scratch and claw and fight and try to do everything he can. He'll give you everything he's got to try to get in the way and keep you off of his quarterback. It may not be pretty. It may not be, you know, technically and fundamentally sound, but he's going to fight you. And, you know, that's something that that Colombo really admires because that's the kind of player he was. Although he certainly had a lot better technique, too. I don't want to take that away from him. But that's what Colombo wants to instill in the Giants line. So I think Fleming Fleming brings a certain uh, element to this line that the Giants are trying to work with. And so I think they made a good move to bring him in. One other thing about that game, uh, they were talking about Colombo. Uh, I think he took over. They fired their line coach, and they elevated Colombo to the head line coach that year. Mid-season. And they were saying how their line play improved so much. I think it was Charles Davis was commenting how their line play improved so much after Colombo took over. And well, he, he's he a Parcells guy for a reason, Mark. Okay, he is he is a Parcells disciple. And and I know people who are very tight with Parcells who actually had said to me while the Giants were in in uh, shopping for a offensive line coach, friend of mine said, I just got off the phone with Parcells and he calls me up and he goes, Parcells just said to me, have they thought about Colombo? And I said, no, I haven't heard that name. Why? He goes, well, Parcells just told me they've absolutely got to get him. He just loves the guy, and he'd be the perfect fit. 24 Mm. hours later, 24 (laughs) hours later, okay? And I don't know if that's a coincidence or maybe Bill planted a seed with somebody. But 24 hours later, all of a sudden, uh, what do you call it? Mark Colombo was on his way for an interview with the Giants. (laughs) So so he's got the blessing of the tuna. Yeah. And then that, that, as far as I'm concerned, that is gold. Works for me. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> You're welcome. All right, Mark. Thanks very much for the call. 973-667-1960 is our phone number. We've got another 10 minutes to go on the program. Uh, Kevin gives us a BPL, uh, BBKL question, probably went through the mailbag. It's uh, giants.com slash podcasts slash BBK questions. And through the mailbag, he says, what's the big attraction to linebacker Blake Martinez? The Giants signed him uh, during the offseason as a free agent from Green Bay. 
says he doesn't remember seeing a lot of playmaking ability uh, in the limited times that he got a chance to see the Packers. Hmm. Well, you did make him. You did see him make a lot of uh, tackles because the guy's a tackling machine. Um, you know, and I think that if if we were to bet over and unders on those, I I think I went. You know, he will be the leader in tackles on the defense this year. Um, I, I'm with him. I haven't watched a lot of film enough to see how many. If he's, he's talking about big plays here, right? Is that what we're talking about? Well, I'm, I think that's what he's talking yeah. about because yeah. if you're strictly going by the numbers, this is a guy who, over the last three years respectively, last season 155 total tackles. The year before that, and by the way, that was second in the NFL. In 2018, 144, and in 2017, he led the NFL with 144. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. So he gets his hands on people. I, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody can dispute that. Sure. Yeah, and, and I'd be interested to see if all those tackles, where the forced fumbles come from. You know, because that's usually, if he's not going to get a lot of interceptions, you know, and sacks, then, you know, he's around the football a lot. So how many times have he forced fumbles in those tackles? Probably quite a few. Well, let's see here. Uh, unfortunately, Jeff, only two career forced fumbles in, 60, in 61 games. We've got to teach him how to tackle better. <laughs> <laughs> but you know? see, no, no, but here's the problem. Too many guys in the back seven try to knock the ball free, and mm-hmm. then they miss their tackles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So well, listen. I'd rather have him bring somebody down, no I think, question. you know, rather than have a bunch of missed tackles and yak yardage. Hmm. That's interesting because I, I, I would have thought that that number would have been way higher than that. I Don't understand. Yep. Yeah, with all those tackles, you would think so just by default. Yeah. All right, 973-667-1960. Corey in Phoenix, Arizona is next on the show. Hello. Hi, Hi Corey. Hi. Uh, I would like to first start by thanking Jeff Eagles for <laughs> your wonderful work to the You're welcome. team. Thanks for calling in. All right. And I would like to talk about my expectations for this year. Um. I expect this to be a team that can win nine, ten games and sneak into the playoffs as the sixth or seventh seed, and here's why. I watch a lot of college football. I believe Andrew Thomas, for one, is the hardest-working offensive tackle you'll probably ever see, Uh, and I know that from watching him at Georgia, alongside Lorenzo Carter, who was also a very productive player at Georgia. I think this is year three for him. I think he's finally going to put things together. And DeAndre Baker was the best corner in the whole SEC two years ago. He's had a year to figure things out. And Ryan Conley, hopefully he can pick up where he left off before he got hurt. But it's mostly on this coaching staff to get the most out of this talent. And I believe that this coaching staff will do that. And I believe we can get 9-10 wins, sneak into the playoffs. And I also, although at first I wanted them to spend big on a pass rusher like Clowney or someone, I am glad that they didn't and they got some more under-the-radar guys like Tackle Machine, like Blake Martinez, and the shutdown corner, and James Bradbury. So I'm curious. It's what you guys think with the talent we have and what your expectations are. Well, before I let Jeff answer that, uh, understand. Answer. No, no, I'm going to let you answer the question, <laughs> but I'm going to remind the caller that uh, Keenan Forney 
who is working with Andrew Thomas right now as his personal offensive line coach during the offseason uh, down in Georgia, was a guest on our program yesterday on BBKL. If you didn't listen to that, it's on the archive on Giants.com and on the mobile app. And, you know, he had just, I mean, couldn't have said nicer things about his pupil. And there's a lot there to digest about the specifics as to why he is so high on the player. So that's pretty cool. I invite anybody who did not catch that to get some really detailed information about the Giants' number one draft choice. Now, Jeff, I'm going to let you handle the question. Well, I, I feel like, you know, I think the team is, is young. I think that the new system and the offseason not having any time to prepare these guys on field and stuff is going to, is going to hurt the team a little bit. Listen, I think if you win 10 games, you're going to be in the playoffs because you're going to, I don't know if you're going to be this, that type of a seed. You might win the division at 10 games in this, in this division. Um, so, but I, I think that, you know, I'm not going to get into over and under with, with numbers and things like that, but you know, you hope that the team can do that, but I, I think that that that's a great expectation. In my opinion, it's a little bit high just because of what the Giants, I think, I think they're behind the eight ball as we speak, you know, going into the season, new coaching staff, new playbook, new players, new coaches. I mean, it's, it, and it's just, it's a tough one to go through with a team that has not been together. There are guys on this team that have never met the head coach. <laughs> That's tough. That's really tough. Thanks yeah. for the call, Corey. Yeah, Corey, thank you very much. Appreciate stay, it. Stay, stay cool out there in Phoenix. I know this time of the year it gets a little yeah. bit hot. And stay healthy as well, please. <laughs> yes, absolutely. 973-667-1960. We may be able to squeeze one more quick phone call in. Sure. Jeff, let me ask you this, though, before we do. Uh, the Giants – according to the schedule as it's been released uh, by the NFL, will open up on September 14th against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm -hmm. Whether or not that's their first game is kind of irrelevant to my question because what I'd like to ask you is this. Given all that we've talked about with the struggles of a new head coaching staff, the changes in the lineup, and and all the pandemic factors that have come into play during the offseason, how critical do you think it is to win that first game of the season? Oh well, I think it. I think it's. I think it's absolutely critical because I feel like that first game. There's so much put on it. You know, it's on. It's the first game of the schedule. Everybody's looking forward to it. And you come out of there with a win, you automatically, immediately get confidence spread throughout that whole locker room. Hey, listen, what we look what we just did. We we had an off season. There was no off season. Uh, we've got new coaching staff, new everything, and we end up putting something together and we go and beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, that's a pretty good deal. So it's more confidence than anything. I mean, you look at those those first four games, that's not a real easy schedule for a team that's really young and new, right? I mm-hmm. mean, those, those are some good – I mean, I, let's listen, San Francisco, the, Steve, I would, the toughest one on this schedule is going to be San Francisco, and then I would put it at L.A., and then maybe the Steelers, and then Chicago. I think those are the, the ones that I would put them in. Um, are they all winnable? Everybody's winnable, but man, I'll tell you what, those are four tough, tough games right off the bat for a team that hasn't been together for very long. Well, I'm glad you said that because I do strongly believe in the Bill Parcells philosophy of the psychology of results. Sure. And so, yes, I really yeah. do think that winning that opening game would oh mean gosh. something to this, to this, uh, this team. I really well, do. And let's, let's, let's also not forget that they're, they're going to have two preseason games as of now, can you imagine if there's no preseason games and you go in and win your first game? That would be even better. I mean, 
yeah, a psychology plays a big part of this, and it really does. In, in the game of football, the more confident players you have, the better off you're going to be, and, and that's what's up to the coaches. The coaches have to prepare these, these guys with confidence that they can beat anybody. You know how, you know how confident coaches are. You know, everybody's going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> Jeff, it's time to close up shop. Thanks for joining right. us today. Well, thank you, Paul, and thank you for everybody calling in, and everybody have a wonderful, safe, long July 4th weekend. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, again, hit us up at the Giants mailbag, giants.com slash podcast slash BBK questions, or on Twitter at hashtag Giants chat. He is at Jay Fiegels. I am at Giants WFAN. Tomorrow we will be off. We are taking a three-day 4th of July holiday. There will be no BBKL. I apologize for that, but we all need a breather. We will be <laughs> back on Monday as we continue with our opponent previews. It'll be a tape show as we uh, dig in to the Cincinnati Bengals with former offensive lineman and radio analyst Dave Lapham. Until then, I'm Paul Tatino. So long, everybody.